Welcome to the 40 Under 40 podcast with your hosts, Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. They are two entrepreneurs who speak to other entrepreneurs under the age of 40, so you can learn from their successes and failures along their journeys of building businesses. 40 Under 40 podcast hopes to educate, motivate, and inspire people to pursue their dreams of starting a business, regardless of age. And now, here are your hosts, Caitlin and AJ. Welcome back to the 40 Under 40 podcast. Welcome. How y'all doing? How y'all doing, y'all? Hey, Caitlin. <laughs> how are you doing? Hey. You know, great. How are you, AJ? I'm great. You have a big day coming up soon. I know it's crazy. My wedding's next week. This is amazing. I'm so excited for you. Thank Thanks you. For inviting me. I'm excited you'll be there. We'll you be know, podcast awesome. hosts in person. We'll have to post <laughs> a pic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like times are changing. I'm thinking of yeah. how like movies are now just going to streaming. Like oh you my don't God. Have to go to movies anymore. Yeah, that whole um that whole thing with Scarlett Johansson, you know, mm-hmm. because it went straight to streaming instead of theaters and yeah. yeah. And they made a ton of money off of the streaming and she's like, ah, I want a piece of that pie. Yeah, exactly. Which like, I don't blame her. <laughs> I saw a Cruella that way on Disney plus I paid like 30 bucks and we got to see it. And it was like, as if we went to the movies, when you think about it, 30 bucks for two people, like, right. I mean, feel kind of bad for movie theaters, but to be honest, it's the way the world is going. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of films, Speaking of making great films, <laughs> our guests today, guests, plural. Ooh, we have two today. I yeah, forgot about do. that. We have two amazing women. They founded a production company together. So first we have Julia, who's a recent graduate of the Stark Producing Program at USC and the co-founder of Petricor, which is the name of their company. And then we have my dear friend, Gabby, who I've known since we were very little, little. Um, and she's actually a former chef turned wow. improviser, actor turned independent producer. Love I those mean, stories. Yeah. I can't wait to hear about this journey for sure. All right. Well, let's bring them on. Well, welcome ladies. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh my goodness. We're so happy and excited that you're here. Thank you for, Thank having, you for us. having us. Yeah. <laughs> tell us about your company. Tell us how you got started and so basically, Petrichor is an entertainment company, and as we're starting off, we're focusing on uh, smaller scale projects financially, but that have the potential to go bigger as we get more backers and more tractions for each of the projects individually. So it's just, it's your traditional um, development company, really. What do you think, Gabby? You are not, you are not traditional. I feel like you guys do so much interesting, so many interesting projects, so many interesting things. How did you meet? Uh, we both went to the same uh, grad program at Peter Stark at USC. Very cool. Yeah. Okay, Julia but- has way more experience than I do. I'm I take most of my knowledge from her. <laughs> That's not true. We have different so- backgrounds. Gabby is a much more well-rounded individual than I am. You're both film students, basically, and you met in the program. Yeah, and so what made the, you say, let's do this? Yeah. Tell us about that. Like meet cute. How did you become partners in this? How'd you decide you wanted to do this together? After graduating, because we finished like the last months in the pandemic, 
So over Zoom, we were just like, I mean, Julia already had a nice job at John Wells and um, still is still there. <laughs> and I didn't, and I really wanted to be able to actually make our own content because I was feeling like with the new environment, it was going to be a huge struggle to be able to get back into the industry and do what we want is just going to add on so many years. And so I reached out to Julia because I know she's great and knows a lot of things about film and um, I like her. <laughs> and uh, it's important for so kind of a business partner. Do you like them? Yes. <laughs> oh, the most basic question. I totally <laughs> understand that. <laughs> AJ and uh, I are always like, um, why are we? <laughs> but yeah, I basically pitched the idea to her and it kind of went from there. Right. I don't think I missed something on that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So wait, tell us what exactly you do in terms of like someone who's never been in the film industry before, never been in production. Can you just kind of explain your business, explain exactly what you do? Imagining none of us have ever heard of, you know, production. Like we don't know what that involves. So basically, um, the way the making of entertainment, whether it's TV or film or a web series um, goes is you start with an idea and then you find your collaborators and then you find your financing and then you make it. That's, that's the general structure. So as the scale of the project goes up, it gets more and more complicated essentially. So the level that we're operating at is we're doing like indie financing right now, right, Gabby? Is that what you would say? Yeah, yeah, we're we're pretty much at the independent level where we where you where you would think of like film festivals. That's where we're at. Like we don't have um a like a studio financing our production company. We don't have a first look deal um yet, and so we have to go out and find that money with the projects that we have yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> But I think that's really important is knowing where your company is at and how to grow it and not trying to jump in head first, because that's just not realistic expectation. You want to grow your company first. So, yeah. Got it. So are you, are you helping people develop their ideas? Are you create, are you coming up with the ideas and then filming? I'm just a little confused with the model. Like, are you uh, getting the crew together This is the age old question. Yeah. So where do you come in in the process? I mean, Gabby, please stop me if you disagree, but basically a producer can, is a creative partner who also helps get together the production. So it can go in both directions. So for example, um, we have one project with uh, Brian Liberty where he had a great idea for a script and he brought that idea to Gabby who brought it to me and we decided we wanted to develop it with him. So now we've done several drafts of the script. We feel like it's in a really good place and we're about to take it out to try to find financing for it. And then we have another project that um, Gabby found this book that she absolutely loved. Um, It's a collection of short stories. And so from there, we went out and found writers that we like to adapt that book. So it can move in both directions. And then the next stage of the process is like we as the producers in the production company will put together the physical production of the project and the financing. Yeah. So because this is a 40 under 40 podcast, essentially helping entrepreneurs who are just getting started, we would love to hear 
who you are, like where you came from. How did you get here? How did you get to starting your own company? Like that's such a big deal. And I don't think we appreciate that enough. So Julia, where did you start? How did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur or start your own company? So I, I graduated with an undergrad degree in TV and film from San Diego State. Um, and then I was like, hmm, I don't know how to get into the film industry at all. I don't know how to apply for those jobs. I don't know what the stepping stones are. Um, it's a tough gig. School, yeah. The school I went to was much more focused on like, here's how you physically make a film and less focused on here's how you make it in the industry. So I took the business side. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I took the skills that I did have in producing and I went and did a few music videos for, and was able to quickly build that up. The last music video I did a few years ago was for share. So like I was able to go up and up and up. That's cool. So that's basically was my path. And then I decided to go to grad school to get more into the traditional TV and film space. And what I do at the company I work at right now, my day job, it's more in the business affairs section of the company. So I don't get to really develop or uh, have a hand in the creative aspects as much as I would like to. So forming this company with Gabby was an opportunity to keep those skills sharp and build something on my own, which are with Gabby, but you know what I mean, outside of an already well-established company that's been around for 30 years. I wanted to build something that Ah, was mine. Totally. What about you, Gabby? I know that you used to be a chef, so I'd love to hear about your journey, your transition. I hate to be spoiler alert, but like, I would love to hear about that transition from that passion to this passion, how you got here. Yeah. Um, so, so I was a chef. Um, I went to culinary school and I got four degrees and sorry, wow. making noise. There we go. Okay. <laughs> um, we welcome dog noises on this podcast. We do. But uh, yeah, so I did that and I, I, I got into baking and cooking because I, I like making people happy. Food is a, is an easy way to and brighten up your day. I mean, I look forward to all my meals. Same. <laughs> oh, dude, it's literally my highlight of the day. Yeah, Ex- exactly. And so that was, that was always why I wanted to do it. And uh, I was living in Singapore teaching um, people to cook and I was having a really hard time. He's legit. <laughs> and uh, I didn't have internet for a month and I was having to rewatch like the same four videos on my computer that someone pre-downloaded for me. Um, and it just kind of made me think and, uh, you know, having no internet really makes you have to listen to yourself a lot. And oh my God. I can't imagine. I cannot. Uh, imagine. Julia can relate to you right now with her Wi-Fi. Yeah. She's yeah. like, I'm lagging. So it's basically the same. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah, so I, I realized that I didn't want to have any regrets. And so I dropped the job and I flew back home and I went into commuted from Orange County to LA for about five years to do improv and acting. And then around the third year, I got onto an improv troupe and we, I, I kind of pushed them to do some digital sketches because I was really popular at the time and still is, I suppose. And uh, no one had any directing or producing skills and I didn't either, but I was like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> So I did it and it was really fun. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll be Brian suggested. Oh, you'd be a good producer. 
was like, okay, uh, what is that? Uh, <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> um, so then I applied to Stark and that was kind of how I got into film. And I, I am, because I had this whole other career, I have a hard time wanting to be an assistant to someone um, because mm -hmm. I've, I, I feel like I did it as a prep cook for right. several years. You're like, I've done this in my last career. <laughs> yeah. So, I, and I understand the use of it, but, um, and I always try to explain in like all my interviews for jobs that I, I can do these things. I, all of the skills that I have learned are very applicable to entertainment. And, you know, sometimes it's a hit or miss. Uh, some people love it. Some people are like, yeah, I see it, but we need someone with agency experience. And so. I always get kind of left, but so that's kind of because of all that, I really wanted to have some control over what I was making. Cause that's something you really have in a kitchen is you at least get to make the dishes that you serve. Right. Like that's all under your control. Yeah. So I, I, I had a feeling with the pandemic that, you know, it's going to be a while and it's going to be exponentially longer than anticipated for me to get anywhere that I wanted. And I was kind of on the fence of what I wanted to do. And it kind of just hit me one day that maybe I should just make it myself. <laughs> ah, that's, that's such a cool entrepreneurial journey. Cause I feel like yeah. some people are like, Oh, I've always known. And some people are like, well, this happened and I realized I could do it myself. And that's really powerful because that doesn't mean that you have to like know from the start what exactly you're doing. Like you completely switched passions, switched careers, and that's okay. And something you mentioned is like, oh, I decided to apply, like go to Stark, but like, that's not that easy. Like that's a hard school to yeah, get Yeah, USC like, film school, grad school, that's, one that's of the impressive. top schools ever. So to both of you, like this question, I'm so curious what, how you did that? Like, what was your thinking when you applied to USC? How did you, how did you do it? I mean, for people who dream of that life, you know, I guess I'll go first. Uh, so, I mean, well, if I'm going to be honest, uh, my parents kind of pushed me to USC because I was looking at USC in, in Chapman and they were, my brother went to USC. And so they're like, Hey, you have to go to USC. Legacy. I mean, it's the only way to do this because my brother Nick is very successful. And like so, this is the only way. Yeah, yeah. Are your parents also that, USC grads? No, no. Oh, okay, they're okay. like very small. Like you wouldn't even know them schools. <laughs> <laughs> Same with mine, totally. Yeah, like my mom had to make her own program in her school because it didn't exist. Wow. But anyways, uh, yeah, so that's why I did. USC and I was actually waitlisted. Someone dropped out about two weeks before the program started, and I got a call while I was at my best friend's wedding, and we were playing frisbee golf, and I was, I got in, and I was like, oh my god, this is ridiculous. I thought I, I was like for sure not going to get it two weeks before. It's not going to happen. Yeah, like waitlisting. Wow. I feel like people just lose hope, right? So it this was meant is a to be great story. Okay, continue. I got my calls in the shower. I answered no. it because I saw that it was a USC number. So <laughs> I was okay. butt naked when I found out. You're like, I stepped out of the shower soaking. Wet. I did not. She step didn't out even. Of the shower. <laughs> I, my phone was right outside the shower. I turned the shower off and I answered the I love this. Oh my God. Yeah. So were you also waitlisted then, Julia? 
I was not, but I think I, (laughs) no, no. I think I got in by the skin of my teeth for sure. Um, I was shocked when I got in. My God. I think that's, I think everyone though that got into that program was shocked. I think we all have that in common. It is a really tough program to get into, but I think what everyone that did get in had in common was they had a lot of passion and they poured that passion into their applications. Everyone I know spent months on their applications. It was not something that they did last minute. It was something that weeks, not months working on day in, day out. We always talk about college with our guests and was it important and did it help you as an entrepreneur? So, I mean, it seems like it did for you ladies, but I mean, you talk together. about it. Yeah. Like w- would you have been able to do this without USC? I think Julie and I have different perspectives on this. Um, and I think that's probably solely because I changed careers and she was already kind of in film. For me, the Stark program was a huge deal. It taught me like so much, but that's because I had no knowledge beforehand. Right. Like you were starting fresh. Yeah. I actually agree with you, Gabby. I don't think we could have, I certainly didn't have the contract knowledge necessary for what we're doing now before Stark. Our first semester, we had this incredible business of film and TV class that taught us so much and brought us up to speed so quickly that that class alone made me feel really confident that we could accomplish this. But also the production side of things, no, I don't think we needed. I I didn't need the CERC program for that. But I do, I it brought us together. It made us a ton of connections and that's all really helpful when you're starting a business. So, ah, and I feel like I, I've mentioned this before, like, I don't value my education for necessarily what it taught me, but the people I met, the opportunities it gave me, like, you know, those connections I made, that's really what it was valuable for. And, and, you know, just the continuing support that you have from that. I always say my student loans are when I'm paying them, I'm thinking about them as a club fee for like a professional club fee. Like that's what it is. Honestly. I mean, having a USC alumni background, like that's huge. Especially for financing and stuff. I'm sure it's going to help you more than you even realize. Yeah. Like people trust that and they trust that, you know, you come from a good education, like, you know what you're doing. You're not going to like be careless with their money. So I'm, so transitioning, good transition. Um, into, I'm curious how you all make money. Like, what is your business model? How does it work right now? Where are you in that journey of creating a full-time revenue generating business? And what does that look like? Yeah. So right now, I mean, we don't have revenue. We're paying for stuff out of pocket. Basically we don't get any money until we have someone financing the project. And even then it's, it's doesn't cover right now. It doesn't cover the development costs. It would just cover our fees for pre-production and then production and post-production. It covers, it covers the fees for the project. So it's not until we have like more solid ground and projects under our belt that we've completed that then we'll be able to have a more consistent revenue revenue stream. Totally. It's normal to be in the red this early. I feel like. Yeah. And it's especially really normal for a development company to be in the red until you make a successful project. And that's why there's so many that pop up and then go away. Mm -hmm. 
So our goal is to keep overhead extremely low for as long as possible. Yeah, yeah I, I was opening a bank account in Hollywood and the guy just assumed it was for a production company. He's <laughs> like so many companies come in here and like, it's like you said, they're in and out, like closing down. And so like, what is the range of a typical production? Like if someone's listening and like, I want to do this, like how much coin do they actually have to invest? Oh, I mean, if you write the project yourself and then you get it financed, then you don't have to invest anything. But what's but the investment? The cost of final draft. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the cost of final draft. But and if, then you just convince you... investors to invest in the business, in the idea? Is that how it works? Yeah, to an extent. I mean, what we're doing is a little bit different than that, to be fair. We're trying to develop a project over time. And really that what that costs us is time. You're reading the same script, a different version of it over and over and over again. So you're spending a lot of time on each of these projects and you're not going to see anything from them, if at all, for at least several years. The quickest turnaround I've ever heard of, of someone seeing money from a project was uh, two of our professors produced Napoleon Dynamite back in the day. No way. Very yeah, cool. And they, but they didn't see any money from that for like two years. And that's quick. That's really wow. quick. And how much did that project cost? It must have cost still in the millions, right? No, they did that cheap, cheap, cheap. Super that was cheap. a pretty cheap movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> they cut they cut a lot of corners, and I mean, they they there's there's not I shouldn't say they cut corners. I mean, like they were clever in how they hired people. They they leveraged the property to get a discount on a rate. So like. They had a guy delivering a generator and it, that alone cost like $500 an hour or whatever. And they didn't want to spend $1,500 and they didn't have that money. So they, uh, they leveraged a portion of the back end of the film. And so now those guys got like paid out. Oh my a God. Such a win. So well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that movie did so well. So it shows you what you can do with not a lot of money. Most movies don't make any money. And the movies that do make money usually break even or people see enough to pay their expenses for like a year. Most movies don't cover people's expenses like that for years and years and years. It's like and theater, I'm, I'm, I guess. Yeah. I thought movies were more profitable, but maybe it's almost the same like blockbusters probably yeah like specifically independent films their success rate is a lot lower like the ones you hear about are like one in it's the exception of the rule yeah like one in at least 200 films or more that are made in it that are get purchased at like Sundance or South by Southwest or anything like that those are I mean like one in a million and far between. Yeah. So I'm curious being both women, amazing entrepreneurs, like in such a male dominated industry, what have you faced adversity? What challenges have you faced as two women leading this company? Like, have you faced pushback because of that? Have you faced challenges or what have you kind of seen in such a male dominated Hollywood? I mean, I've, I've been in multiple being in a kitchen i mm. built had a hard skin on that oh but, my god um, so you know true. the deal yeah uh and i grew up with four older brothers so 
to me, I have a slightly different perspective. It hasn't really been until recently that it's, I've been seeing more of it, which is weird because you think you would start seeing less of it, but I've been reflecting back on things that have happened. And it's interesting to see like how that, how that it really does affect, like even on an internship, being, being picked to do the cool thing when you're working there for free and you'd miss out on certain things because they wanted to hang out with their buddy. (laughs) Do you have advice for people starting out in, in this industry or any that's male dominated, which, oh my God, what industry isn't at this point? What do you have advice like starting out? Do you have suggestions or what have you dealt with that you've been able to overcome or, you know? When someone makes a sexist joke, don't laugh. That's my advice. You don't have to do the thing where you make them explain to you why the joke's funny. Just don't laugh and then move on and tell a different joke that's not sexist. Because that's really the thing about creative industries is that people will tell off-color jokes. And your best defense that protects other people but also keeps your options open is just to not laugh at the jokes. And be yourself, be funny, make friends. But if you draw that line of like, I don't find this funny, people will stop making those jokes to you because it's uncomfortable when people make a joke and you don't laugh. Yeah, don't tolerate it. I love it. Also, don't feel bad about not laughing like you're hurting their feelings. I mean, they're the ones that are offending you. (laughs) You shouldn't feel bad about that. Don't appease the patriarchy. Yeah, don't appease the patriarchy, but also, I mean, this is not like the best way to look at things, but this is just how I have to look at things to survive. Don't appease the patriarchy, but also when you're starting off your career, it's probably not in your personal best interest to fight it directly. That's why the don't laugh policy is kind of your best defense because it's not confrontational. Because when you make people get defensive they don't like you and then just like what gabby said about they want to hang out with their buddies and their buddies are the people that get those opportunities yeah yeah well said so with all of this being said between one out of 200 films making it the freaking patriarchy you're fighting against like how do you keep going like what motivates you what's your secret yeah i mean pick projects that you're passionate about that you love that you really want to see to come to light and if they don't make any money you're okay with that because it's for this industry it's a creative outlet you know what I mean so if you really love something and you put all that care and time into it and you don't compromise your creative vision even if you're you know giving away 0.1% of your back end to a guy driving your generator from point A to point B, then you might be able to get to that moonshot. But the other part of it is just to make projects that you can feasibly make. I mean, people say this all the time, but look around at what connections you have, what resources you have, and then make something that fits into that realm. Don't try to make the Avengers when you have a thousand dollars in your bank account. It's not going to work work out. Mm. It's funny, just before this call, I was talking to Brian about an idea, and I I guess I didn't fully realize that this is probably why, uh, like right now, it just kind of clicked. There's, and also, I don't know if you guys have seen the movies that made us on Netflix. Have you guys oh. seen that at all? 
So basically it's like a little documentary about all the classic films that made us. And if you look at it, pretty much all of them are, you know, white male leads made by white male mm-hmm. males. Um, and uh, I've been noticing more and more that some of the ideas that I have are female focused and doing things that you haven't seen on screen. And so a big thing is just being able to have other people relate to your life because there's a lot of things like I only relate to so many movies like and it's and it's by a thin thread um, of why I am connected to them and I think people like that because um, watching a movie that you connect with and it makes you feel good I mean it's what you need at the end of a long day and to like take yourself out of this kind of shitty world <laughs> Aww, that's I love beautiful that. yeah and bring it back world. and make people happy <laughs> Exactly. Like come back to this like non-reality that makes us feel good. So at this point, you both, how are you both sustaining yourselves? Like, do you work other jobs? I know you talked a little bit about Julia's side job or primary job that you have. So or this is, is still this funding you. Exactly. Like tell us about that balance for especially I think for entrepreneurs that are thinking about starting a company, but can't yet support themselves fully on that company's revenue. And how do you make that work? How do you survive? I would, I would think of it like how probably everybody's parents say, apply for jobs while you have a job. So in this case, we both have full-time jobs and we're doing this at night. Like after this, we're having a meeting (laughs) Um, and Mm. working on it when we have downtime. Look at that. So it's just uh, right now the company is not sustainable for us to leave our jobs and do this. But, you know, ideally there will be a time when that happens and then we can not be doing the job that we are now. And are your jobs flexible or are they nine to fives? Like, I'm curious. The film industry is not a nine to five place. Totally. The the film industry is an eight to seven. So your job, your jobs your main jobs are in the film industry, you're saying? My my main job is mostly TV and Gabby actually works for a podcast company. Oh, cool. But so, yeah. So it's just, I work from nine till seven every day, if not longer. And then we meet twice a week and then we read scripts and we do stuff in between just to keep our projects going. So every, I mean, the goal really with every meeting is to move a project forward one step. So we're just trying to, it's slow, but steady kind of pace. And honestly, that's what development is. So the type of company that we're running really works well for that structure. It's not going to work well for maybe different industries, but for development, it works really well because you can't move quickly. You got to give your creative partners time to take notes or you got to, when you're making a deal with someone that lives in London there's a time difference there. So you respond to an email and then you wait 24 hours and that's just kind of the way it goes. So it, this company in particular is conducive to having a full-time job. Totally. No, I I think that's very encouraging for our audience to hear. Like there is no clear cut way to be an entrepreneur, right? Right. And you could have multiple different things going on. Yeah. So what would you say, let's say, I mean, you're just starting out or you're thinking about starting a business, you're thinking about starting a company. What would, what advice would you give to a young entrepreneur someone just starting out or considering doing what you're doing, a production company or otherwise? What do you feel like is the best piece of advice you could give someone at this point 
that has helped you or that you've learned along the way on your journey? If, if you don't know how to start a business, like literally, like legally, like paperwork, filing it, all that stuff, find someone to help you with that and don't try to do it yourself. Good advice. It might cost some money, but it will be worth it. (laughs) Cover your ass. (laughs) Did, why do you say that? Because it, you got screwed or something. We used an online company and, you know, they don't double check. They don't circle back. They just do it. And, you know, if there's even the slightest error, it's you that have to pay for the mistake, not them. Yeah, that kind of happened to us. <laughs> but it's not like a huge deal. It's just an inconvenience. Is It's really irritating because you have to spend, I spent yeah, so long reading totally. government documents and it was mind-numbing and terrible and it's not something that I'm any good at. It's hard, so, yeah. That's good advice. What about you, Julia? Um, My advice is to set realistic expectations about how many hours a week you're going to devote to your new company. Um, I think that's something that like Gabby and I found naturally, but it's just definitely something you want to think about. How does this new company, when you're like Gabby and I, and you have full-time jobs and both, you know, co-founders have full-time jobs, how much time can you actually devote to this? And how long do you, how many hours a week do you actually need? Right. to keep things going. I think that's really important. And I've had several friends who've tried to start their own businesses and it hasn't gone anywhere because they didn't really think about the time commitment and how it fit into their lives and what they would need to change to make it fit into their lives. Yeah. Just simple stuff like that, that people just, they're excited about the idea and they want to run with it, but you just don't, you really need to consider and be disciplined about the time you're going to give to your business. I'm very curious about this because I think as an entrepreneur, we tend to make personal sacrifices in our personal lives. We give up time with our loved ones, or we give up the support of our family members. Have you ever run into that? Have you had family that have been I mean, I know AJ and I, at least I have like, have had this disconnect between like, oh, you're doing what now? Like, you know, this, this question of support. Entrepreneurship. Are you sure? Right. Like, is that the best path? Like getting questioned with your choices from either family or friends or, or sacrifices that you've had to make that have maybe given up that time. But I'm curious to hear your experience with that side of things. Weirdly, this is probably the one thing that my parents or family have like been semi-supportive of. And I think it's because I come from a family of entrepreneurs. I have on this specific front, not so much on for me, but everything else that I've done leading up to this moment. Yes, they've questioned everything I've done. Uh, And it was extremely tough. It makes you second guess uh, everything that you find interesting or want to do. Right. Um, I'm pretty lucky in this regard. My parents are really entrepreneurs but their attitude is like, oh, you can pay your rent, all good. (laughs) So in that way, I also, I mean, my family doesn't live close by, so I'm not really sacrificing that type of time. And then we started this business during a pandemic. So it's not like I was not going out to bars with my friends. I wasn't doing that anyways. So um, in that regard, the sacrifice has been been easy, or at least for me. And then my 
parents are pretty supportive and, and just, you know, trusting that I know what I'm doing. And I, I'm very lucky in that regard. Yeah. That's awesome. So Gabby, you mentioned your parents are entrepreneurial. Like, is that a lot of pressure for you? Like you need to do this right as an entrepreneur? Like, I don't know. It seems like it could be a lot. I never really thought about it that way. Cause I think there was a point when I switched to doing improv and acting that they clearly were like, why they wanted to help me, but they don't, they don't know anything about entertainment. So they think about everything from a business standpoint. And so I think a couple of years ago, I, I realized like, it doesn't, I don't need to impress them so much. I just have to make something physically tangible for them to realize that like, this is a real company and it does make things because that's something they, they don't quite understand, which a lot of people uh, don't know. So it's very understandable that that happens. Um, Maybe they think it's a hobby or, yeah. I mean, when I got into USC, they, they definitely started taking it more seriously because they know that's a big school. It's more legitimate. Yeah, they, and now, yeah. Yeah. And they definitely, I mean, they occasionally put the pressure of like, well, you know, you should be successful by now. Like, you know, they do that stuff. But uh, eh, I mean, <laughs> it took my brother a couple of years to get his company going. And um, yeah, it's not immediate. And they know that. So I don't think they have expectations of that to happen really quickly, um, which is good because they know that from personal experience. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And yeah. so you brought up improv a couple of times. I did like a little bit of Groundlings improv stuff. And I think I it's UCB. been so helpful. Yeah, it's been so helpful. So has that helped you as an entrepreneur? Like, don't you think more people should do improv? <laughs> oh, 100%. I think improv is probably one of the greatest things. I absolutely love it. And it's funny, I, I had made a whole plan when I was graduating, as producers tend to do, and I was going to take improv classes again. And this was before the pandemic hit. And so I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get back to improv because I really miss it. And I'm going to do sketches and I'm going to do all this stuff. And I couldn't. <laughs> and so um I don't know it's just a it's such a great way to find find out more about yourself because I feel like people know how they act a certain way around different people but once you're able to just do it in front of a stage and be yourself and be a little silly you can kind of have a better feeling for who you are as a person and maybe you don't like it that's fine but it also just helps on regular things if you ever have to give yeah. a toast or a speech of any kind it helps just I being give, a do human. Most of my, yeah I feel like it just helps you to be more comfortable with the the concept of just getting out there and well, not caring and what people think learning to laugh at yourself is just like an incredibly yes. important skill yeah. not taking yourself so seriously and just being able to laugh at your mistakes or like well, an embarrassing so. moment Absolutely. yeah yeah, just being silly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So last question, because we're finishing up here. What? Okay. This is a question we, we ask all of our guests and it's always fun to hear the answer. Do you believe that entrepreneurs are born or bred? Do you believe you're born an entrepreneur or you can become an entrepreneur? And why? Julia, go ahead. We haven't heard from you in a little while. Oh, um, I would say I think that they're bred. I, I'm just not like a nature versus nurture kind of gal I guess but 
I just think they're, I think it's partly genetics and partly your environment. I don't know. It's like any other type of psychology. The genetic marker needs to be there, but the environment needs to bring it out. So, but yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I'm a nature and nurture person. (laughs) Gabby? That was kind of what I was going to say. I've always, I never strictly believed in one or the other because I mean, in this example for Julie and I, she doesn't have entrepreneurial parents and I do, and we both are doing it. So it just shows that, I mean, Julia has her own personality. She's her own person, but she's been put in situations that have made her become an entrepreneur. And I've also been put in those situations just from a different perspective. Love it. Those are good answers. I think they're legit. I appreciate it. So where do we find you guys? Well, my social media on Instagram, which I don't use that much. So (laughs) is Gabby Raquel rap, but you should all follow our new podcast that is launching soon called botany barrels. Oh my God. Ah. Stop. Can't wait to be a guest. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. We will eventually. Yes. We have to launch. (laughs) We're like, no. Yeah. Step one launch. Okay. Go ahead, Julia. Where do we guest? Uh, oh. can't wait to be the first guest. I already claimed it. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at Julia R. Dillard. I'm much like Gabby. You, I feel like we're just behind the scenes creatures. At least I definitely am. I am a behind the scenes creature. I so if you want to go look at my private Instagram and hit the follow, I'll probably accept you, but yeah, it's not, you're, you're not going to go to that page and not see a lot at first for sure. <laughs> That's okay. I love it. Scenes, like you said. Well, thank you both so much for coming on. This has been a blast. We've totally enjoyed getting to know you and your businesses. And I feel like you've inspired a lot of people here. Thank Thank you you for having us. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having us, you guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. Oh my goodness. They were awesome. Wow. You know, I'm inspired. I don't know about y'all, but we need more people like that on like, yeah, we need more people like that in the world. Let's be real. Such great (laughs) creatives, such great creatives. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Super fun to reconnect with Gabby and meet Julia. So thanks for listening, everyone. See you all in a couple of weeks. See you soon. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the 40 under 40 podcast with Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort, and we'll catch you in the next episode.